Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you all. I um, am excited because this uh, memeing of uh, life series has uh, been very encouraging to me personally, and uh, we're about to embark on the last message in the series today, and perhaps one of the more hypocritical messages that I will teach uh, of late. And so here we go. Um, so if, if you were thinking in terms of asking people how they are doing, right? If you walk up and you say, hey, man, how's it going? Just think about how often you hear someone say some form of, I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. I'm just holding it together. Or at least they'll, they'll, they'll look like they're just holding it together. You know, the very idea of trying to reflect on how they are doing, all of a sudden they're like, I mean, I'm running here and there and the kids and the thing and the sports and the travel team and the, and the this and the that and the that. And you're like, wow, that is crazy. And if I think if, if I were to ask you, which I have, I have many a times talked to many of you about this, and, and if you could give me the main reason that you feel like you don't spend enough time with God or people, most of you would say, I'm just, I'm just too busy. Just too busy. So we're here in this series called The Meaning of Life, and we're talking about the true meaning of life, which if you go all the way back to the first message, we said it's, it's about relationships. It's about relationship with God and it's about relationships with people. And if you really want to know what life was meant to be, then focus on the only eternal things that you know. God and people. And so we're looking at principles and practices that strengthen our relationships and give us more meaning and joy. And so we talked about how to forgive ourselves based on the cross of Christ and how to forgive each other based on the cross of Christ. We talked about what it means to commit yourself to another person. And what it means to hold them in positive regard. And to, uh, and to have God's perspective on them. We talked about how important it is to love our spiritual family and make ourselves available to others. But here's the thing, even if you commit yourself to loving God and people more and more, if today you said, I am going to invest more in these vital relationships, many of you, even after you make that decision, are going to feel like, I'm just so busy. So some good news here as we get underway, I'm not actually going to try to talk you out of being busy this morning. That's, a, that's its own message, maybe its own series. Maybe we'll do something about that whole idea uh, in, uh, in the future in a slightly different way from a slightly different angle. But that's not what I'm going to do here this morning. In fact, today I want to emphasize the reality that I think we ought to be busy. I mean, it's very possible that Christians ought to be the the busiest people you know. We ought, to be, we ought to be busy because there is a great deal to do. 
I came across a whole bunch of the busy memes, which I thought were pretty funny because they go in two tracks, right? And one of them is this one where, you know, many people tell me, uh, you know, <laughs> this is what you're going to tell people when you're busy. They're like, no, oh, man, I'm too busy for that. And, like, that's actually what, what, uh, what you're really doing. Or, of course, I have a very busy day. Those minds aren't going to sweep themselves. We have some, is my, did I just date myself as like a major boomer with Minesweeper or does everyone still know what Minesweeper is or should I, should I abandon Minesweeper? Anyway, does any, does no one, does someone not know what Minesweeper is? All right. Oh. All right. All right. Anyway, so Google it. Anyway, I, here's the thing. Christ followers are going to be busy people. So I'm, I'm reading the Gospel of Mark this week, and I'm, you can actually open up, and we'll be there uh, in a little bit. But I'm, I'm studying Mark 1 through 6 this week, and I'm reading it over and over again, and something strikes me, something jumps out at me as I'm reading through it. I was just stunned at how busy Jesus was. He had so much going on. I mean, there were Christians that needed his attention. He had this group of disciples, and they all have, like, responsibilities that are, you know, that he is talking about. And so he's gathering up all of these things, and he's like, you know, all right, I'm going to help you with this, and I'm going to help this guy with this. And, and then, you know, you think, all right, so all he's got to do is really work with the disciples. But then you go over here, and you're like, oh, no, wait, there's all of these lost people. Who are, who are far from God, and he's like, you know, what are you going to do with all these lost people? And so he's picking up those responsibilities as well, and he's kind of like, all right, you know, now I'm looking at, I'm thinking he's just got to be at his end. How could he possibly? And all of a sudden, you find out that crowds of, of needy people are finding their way to an already busy guy, traveling days to see him, and their needs are real, like they're sick or some dying or dead, and they need Jesus, or else. I mean, this is the kind of responsibility this guy had all the time. So yeah, I think Christ followers are going to be busy people. But, and this is a big but, and I cannot lie, I think we can be so frenetic, and we can be so hurried, that we are unable to live the Christ life like we ought to. We look often more like this. Do not disturb. I am busy. And we make certain people understand that's an, Or this one. Me trying to excel in my career, maintain a social life, drink enough water, exercise, text everyone back, stay sane, survive, and be happy. Thank you, Cruella. Some of you actually, we walk around on hard, in hard days like this one had a rough day, but you're trying to stay positive. It's great. I mean, I'm great. Everything's great. Just don't jostle me. You know, you feel like you're going to bump into them, and all of a sudden, it's all going to kind of crumble around them. I think many of us feel like busyness holds us back from loving people and loving God the way that we want to, the way that we ought to, and that, that would actually bring us genuine joy. So I think there's a tension here. Christians have every reason to be busy, more than anyone else in the world. We have more reason to be busy, but we're also called to love people, and it's hard to love when you're busy. So how do we navigate 
this painful irony. How can we love God and people and how can we build our relationships when we are so darn busy? So I want to distinguish this morning between busy and hurried for just a little bit here. The difference is between busy and hurried. We're going to develop it over the course of the, the message here. But I think this is an important idea for us to wrap our hearts and our, our minds around. There's a term, hurry sickness. It was actually phrased, believe it or not, like 60 years ago by a cardiologist. And so that'll tell you a little bit what you need to know about it. And it, what he noted was that most of his heart disease patients had common behavioral characteristics. Primarily, they were in a chronic rush. And so I know we can use the terms interchangeably, busy and hurry, and we will often in other times. But for this morning, I want us to take a look at the life of one very busy savior of humanity and see if we can learn anything about how to love people in the midst of being busy. And I want to do that by contrasting the often rewarding experience of being busy with the cruel reality of being hurried. So there's going to be four lifestyle choices that we're going to be looking at here that are going to follow the Jesus way and they're going to help us as busy people also be loving people. But before we do that, I've got to interrupt this sermon for a hurry sickness self-diagnostic. So everyone make your way to the communion table in front of you and grab one of those sheets of paper that has a pen on it. And there is a self-diagnostic I would like all of you to take. It shouldn't take more than two minutes if you hurry. So please, I don't have all day here, so please hurry up and finish this diagnostic. And so if you're comfortable, go ahead, walk up, grab your pen, grab your diagnostic, start filling it out. I'll sing a little while you're filling it out, a little background music. I should do the Jeopardy theme. There are a number of questions. Don't overthink it. Read the instructions. Zero if not at all. One if it's a bit. Two if it's more likely than not. That's all the scale you need. Zero, one, two. And then you need to score it. And then I'm going to share the key with you. Are there any cardiologists in the house? Hmm. I feel like you should be done already. I don't even understand what's taking you so long. Could you just please hurry up? I'm watching the, the clock. <sighs> I see some of the overachievers are already looking at me, giving me the nod. I don't understand what's taking these other people so long. It's a knowing nod. <laughs> Alina's like, <laughs> I could have done this three times already. 
I filled out two, one with each hand. <laughs> All right. Show of hands who's already done. Are we okay? <laughs> We're going to have some lower scores than I thought. <laughs> Give you another few moments here. All right. The hurry sickness self-diagnostic questionnaire. If you scored a zero to three, you, there was laughter. <laughs> there is no hurry sickness. I was actually going to ask those of you who got a zero to three to stand, but I thought you might be hurt by the rest of the room. Um, and so I'm, <laughs> so I'm not going to have you identify. Uh, but you have no hurry sickness. We want you to come up here and tell us everything that you know about life and happiness. And please educate us. Moderate hurry sickness, 4 to 11. That means, you know, it's starting to look a little bit, life is a little bit more like a blender-ish kind of a feel. Um, so it is time for you to sort of slow down and smell the flowers just a little bit. You're doing good, though. Only moderate hurry sickness. Next category is 12 to 21, which we're identifying as significant hurry sickness. That means hurry is alive and well, and it is making you wish that the diagnostic was shorter. You're like, please, come on, can we keep moving on? This is crazy, you know. And so you already have a significant hurry sickness. This next category, uh, serious hurry sickness, 22 to 34. You are in serious need of a change of lifestyle. Just FYI, you need to slow down. You need to dedicate yourself to studying and applying hurry-reducing principles. You should be taking furious and hurried notes throughout the entire message that's about to follow. And if you are one of those handful of folks who score a 35-plus, you have severe hurry sickness, you might want to stop whatever you're doing right now and schedule an appointment with your cardiologist. If you do not have a cardiologist, one will be provided for you, or you should go, you should hurry up and get one is what you should actually do. Like, probably start Googling it right now through your, your app on your phone and find a cardiologist and get checked out. I would do a show of hands, but there is no way for this not to be either humiliating or violent. So I am not going to do that. Now you know where you are at. Um, I might have given this this week to some of the staff. We might have had some in the teens. There might have been a couple in the 20s. There might have been a few of us that were in the 30s. Might have been some that broke the 35-plus category as well. And uh, so let's get into these lifestyle choices. You, it, you have a full schedule but you still have time for God, right? Jesus had plenty on his plate. You got all of this 
going on. You got piles and piles and piles. But have you ever had more to do than you could finish? Because Jesus did. It seems like that happened to him quite a bit. Do you ever have your plans all laid out, maybe even time away, a rest, a break from everything, only to have someone else's crises impact you? Change your schedule, because Jesus did. Maybe you get interrupted on your way to do something important by something that is also important. Yep, that happened to him as well. Or maybe you have been making certain decisions and you know that if you make this decision in this way at this time, all of these people are going to be disappointed in you. And you're having a hard time disappointing people. And so you're just saying, I just got to do it all because if I put down any of these bags, someone is going to be unhappy with me. Yeah, Jesus had to disappoint people too. Have you ever been so busy that you skipped meals, that you simply couldn't eat. Yep, that happened to Jesus as well. And yet, we find in Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And it wasn't the only time. Later in the scriptures, after a tough ministry season, it says, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray busy schedule, always, always finding time for God. It reorients everything. It changes everything. Before big decisions, Jesus might spend an entire night alone and in prayer. When grieving, like after the murder of John the Baptist, Jesus would find time to nurture his own soul in the presence of the Father. He always made time. Listen, you're busy, we get it. You have a full schedule. But hurry makes you preoccupied with yourself. It means you have no more time for God. You're certainly not going to have real time for others. Yes, full schedule. Reality of living in this day, in this time, in this place, we get it. But the preoccupation that shifts when we reorient ourselves toward God and then he'll provide us with wisdom and strength and insight and conviction to live in such a way that we might be busy but we still get to keep God and his way at the forefront of our minds you see this is the lifestyle choice number one it seemed like Jesus just mastered and I think we could learn a lot from lifestyle choice number two Lots of responsibilities, but still interruptible. Jesus had lots of people depending on, on, on him. And he had this massive project that he was trying to accomplish. And what most of us do in situations like that, I think, is we just simply try to carry more. And I mean, why would you ever make two trips to the car to get all the grocery bags when you can do it in one and so I'll carry 17 grocery bags or I will die trying before making two trips. And, you know, this is what you do. You just pile them on, carry them all, load them up. Why not? 
But think about Jesus, what he had to go. He had a, Jesus, he, he had to recruit a team. He had to train them up so that they could manage the mission without him. There were thousands of people constantly clamoring for his time, energy, and wisdom. He needed, to, he needed to deal with all sorts of personnel conflicts, employees that were getting some pretty bad annual reviews. He had spiritual children all around him who seemed to always be whining for something that simply wasn't good for them. And he had to sort of nurture them along and encourage them along in the way. He had competitors who were strategizing to tank his goals and to make certain that, you know, they were, uh, they were discrediting. They were, they were plastering their version of social media, you know, the, 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 the gossip mills that were in existence in his day. They were, they were plastering uh, those lines of communication with all sorts of lies about him and spreading rumors. And they were trying to create a PR nightmare for him. I mean, this guy had some serious challenges facing enemies seen and unseen unlike anything most of us will ever experience. Oh yeah, and the mission that he was on, the mission itself, like his responsibilities... He, it, they were assigned to him by the creator of the universe. You think your boss has clout? Imagine working for the king of kings. Right? Like, and, and like this is like no small thing. And of course, his goal wasn't simply to sell widgets or start a school or even create a not-for-profit. His mission was to save the world through deeply sacrificial living and dying. I mean, this guy had lots of responsibilities that kept him very busy. Now, what I do is I just try to move faster. When I have all sorts of things like that, I'm like, all right, let's go over here. Take this one over here. This one's got to go over here because someone's over here. They need this thing over here. This one's got to go back. Oh, I think that one's supposed to be over here. And all the while, God's saying, you got to pick up this one. And I'm like, no, that one looks too heavy. And so, like, I'm going to go pick up this one over here, and I'm going to do this. And so I just simply try to move faster. And if I can move faster then maybe I'll be able to keep all of these plates spinning. Cardiologist that I was talking about, his name was Meyer Friedman. He defined hurry sickness like this. A continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Who would possibly be guilty of that? Trying to do more and more and more and more in the same amount of time. You know what we call that? Efficient. Productive. He defined it as hurry sickness. You can imagine when you're all piled up, right? You got all these things you're carrying and you're all strapped in and all of a sudden somebody walks in and tries to hand you a new bag. You're like, no, absolutely not. I got plenty of my own I'm carrying. I'm not taking yours. That was, that was me. Sorry. That was the, sorry, Rob, I'm messing with your tools. So we get this guy coming in, trying to interrupt you with their thing. What do we do? Jesus never so hurried that he didn't have time to love people. Always interruptible. There's this one story. It's in Matthew 5. You can read it later. 
Jesus is on his way. He's been asked to help this guy. His daughter is really sick. He's walking off. He's marching over. There's a big procession all following. A woman breaks through the crowd. She touches the hem of his garment, and Jesus knows power. He, he knows that power has gone out from him. He feels it. He knows it. He stops the whole procession. He says, Who's, who touched me? And they're like, everybody is touching you. What are you talking about? He's like, no, someone specially touched me. Someone with faith. Someone who knew and someone who got healed. And he stopped the whole procession. He interviewed everyone. He found out who it was. She finally came forward. And Jesus takes that moment to love her and to give her a word of encouragement. He turned her, her sickness and her fear into healing and hope and encouragement. While he's on his way. And yes, the little girl died before he got there. Thank the Lord, he also healed her. So whether it was his disciples who needed some time away with him, or it was the children up interrupting his schedule, or it was the group of guys who dug through a roof to drop another guy on Jesus' head so that they can get him in front of the Savior of the world, Jesus was always being interrupted. And he always seemed to have margin available to love people. Busy, lots of responsibilities. But you know you're dealing with hurry when you have no relational margin. When you can't be present with the people around you. When you can't be interrupted. When there's no time for the things that genuinely and truly matter for all of time. We have lots of responsibilities, but let's remain interruptible. Physically demanding, but accept our limits. Jesus had this physically demanding pace, but he recognized that he couldn't do it all. I know that could sound like heresy a little bit. You know, Jesus the God, uh, you know, the second person of the Godhead and all that, but we also have to deal with the incarnation that he was God and he was man. And so we, we see that he was often hungry and tired and he was in need of a break and he seemed to get frustrated and weary emotionally. So Jesus here, he, we never find that he was so hurried that he would try to accomplish more than the Father wanted him to. He accepted his own physical limits. Back in our Mark 135 verse. It's kind of an interesting one. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. This is what happens after that moment of solitude. They went to look for him because it was, a, it was an awesome time of ministry. People were clamoring for him. He was like the rock star of the village right now. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. I wonder how many people he disappointed in that moment. He knew what he was called by God to do, and he was going to do it because he had an audience of one. It was the Heavenly Father. He knew that there were other important needs over there that he was going to go help be a part of. Solve whole other hurts and needs this to me is one of the keys. If we could crack this, if we could figure this thing out. I mean, Jesus did in fact leave people unhealed. He told some people not to follow him. He picked 12 people to be his disciples. Not 20, not 30, not 40. He understood that he was in fact limited in the God-man form. And he seemed 
okay with that? I mean, what if carrying these bags isn't even what God wants you to do? What if that's simply put on us by us? We take on all of these bags, we ignore our limits, we become not simply physically drained, but we become spiritually brittle. And we start to wonder more and more about God's love and his compassion for us, and we don't let it flow through us, and we start to get emotionally thin, and relationally we start to get deficient. And so we see it physically demanding, but in hurry you become spiritually drained. You know what, if you're tired, I get it. If you're feeling like, man, it's been, a, it's been a good season. Like, I've been busy. I've been, I've been feeling it. But are you getting spiritually drained because something's wrong? If you're feeling that something is getting brittle, that your compassion is starting to crust over, it's a good sign that hurry might be negatively impacting you and that you might not be accepting of your own limits. Last one is the lifestyle choice. Number four, we've got to let the pressure lead to dependence on God's refueling power. Now this is, I, I think it's, uh, it's here in the text and I like it. It's, it's interesting to me, but I got to kind of set it stage just for a moment because there is a simple trust that Jesus showed knowing that in the midst of the busy, the demanding opportunities to love people that in those moments, Jesus seemed to know that God would show up and do the part that only God could do. And we actually see it in one of these texts. And I just, I find this so interesting because I, I often like notice some of the ironic moments in the scriptures, but this was brand new to me. I'd never noticed this one, or at least I don't remember ever noticing it. But we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000 miracles. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus. They reported to him all that, that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. Not even a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And you're like, yes, that's beautiful. They were so busy. They were so tired. And they're about to get an incredible break and a refreshing time with the Savior. This is like one of those moments you're like, yeah, let's put that on the wall and remember that and live that way. But it continues this way. But, another big but, many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Of course he did. That's who he is. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. They were tired. They couldn't eat. They were hungry. They were exhausted. Jesus himself recognized that they needed a break. This was the end of the rope. And Jesus is like, no. There is still something else that needs to be done apparently. He began to teach them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And then we can finally get a break and eat ourselves. Can we just be done here? It's just the end of the line. And of course Jesus says what? He tells them, you give them something to eat. 
like, you know, it feels like, what am I going to do now? You know, God wants it. They couldn't. They didn't have the resources. They were done. They couldn't eat themselves. And you want me to feed this horde? And then God shows up. And Jesus starts breaking the bread. And he starts dividing the fish. And he starts filling the baskets. And thousands of people eat. And at the end of this story, baskets filled with leftovers are collected by the disciples. Sometimes, in the midst of doing what God wants you to do, of having compassion, of loving people passionately, you start to trust in the provision of God in a new way. And not only do they eat, but you eat as well. You're encouraged and you're refreshed. Just this week, someone was telling me a story. She had had an absolutely rough week on a whole number of fronts. You know, like just tough circumstances in life and some really big kind of conflicts that were going on that were not of her doing and, and you know, accidents that were going to be a nightmare to kind of unravel. And all of this stuff just had her wiped out, drained, feeling like, you know, that's all I got to give. And yet she had already committed herself to going out and helping some others and shepherding them and caring for them and being available to them. And she just did not feel like there was anything left. And she is literally telling me this story this week while we're work, I'm working on this message. And, and she says, you know, when she went and did it, she felt like there was nothing. She was going to call us and say, yeah, just, no, I'm out. I'm out. I just can't. Like, I need some of my own. In the midst of being there, she heard stories and an affirmation of faith and an answer to prayers that just renewed her soul, that restored her. She was given something to eat and something to be refreshed with, which she would never have expected in that moment of her own compassion and giving to others. And yet God showed up in a powerful way and he's been doing it time and again and will continue to do it. See, you might be so busy that you need more of God. And you know that when you're getting hungrier for God and when you're getting more dependent on Him and when you're saying, this is what I need, I need more of God, that might be busy. In fact, that's one of the best things about busy is that it presses you deeper into the Father. It makes you realize that you are, in fact, limited, that you cannot juggle it all, that you will disappoint people, that you aren't actually the Messiah. Then it can press you into an increasing dependence and a trust. But if you feel your soul pulling away from God, if you feel yourself starting to say, no more, He's actually harsh. He's actually cruel. He isn't really looking out for me. He isn't really caring for me. You might be struggling with some spiritual hurry.